1: Sir Henry Parks, like Alfred Deacon, had transitioned from poet to pressman to politician. Deacon wrote of the five time New South Wales Premier He was jealous of equals, bitter with rivals, and remorseless with enemies, vain beyond all measure, without strong attachment to colleagues, and with strong animal passions. The last point was a none too subtle reference to Sir Henry's legendary libido with the highest sperm count in Australian political history and was still on the job at 76. Parks's pulling power had nothing to do with his looks. He rarely smiled and his permanently raised left eyebrow conveyed a world-weary contempt for all things not Henry Parks. With his snowy shock of hair and beard borrowed from one of the rough sleepers in the domain parklands behind Parliament House, he looked like Santa caught in the act of slipping a naughty child a lump of coal. An American visitor described Parks as a picture to look at and continued. He is fully six feet in his socks, supple as an eel and wiry as a corkscrew. His face is a compound of wrinkles, yellow jaunders, theology and politics. He has small, keen, gray eyes and a head shaped like a mammoth goose egg, big end up. His hair, silvery white, much resembling a bag of wool in admirable disorder, or a brush heap in a gale of wind. Strangers mostly think he is a crazy person escaped from his keepers,
0: and the rest scarcely understand what he's about. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. At this point in the Good Reading podcast, I usually deliver a short biography to introduce the author and their work. But because David Hunt writes his own biographical notes, I found it hard to locate anything close to objective. When I read that David refers to himself as an unusually tall and handsome man, I immediately concluded that he must have a great face for radio and for podcasting. And for that reason, today I'm talking to David Hunt about GERT Nation, the third volume of the Unauthorised History of Australia series. David, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Great Greg. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Three books documenting the history of Australia, GERT, True GERT, and now GERT Nation. This suggests that you might have an unusual and possibly unhealthy obsession with the word GERT.
1: Arguably Australians have got an unhealthy obsession with the word GERT, although the only time we use it is in our national anthem. Uh, It was a word that I hated as a school kid. It it grates on the modern ear, but it's actually also really important in understanding Australian history. The fact that we are girt by sea has been incredibly influential in forming the Australian colonies, the Australian nation and the Australian identity and has really made us as a people who we are today.
0: Gert Nation begins with the story of two distinctive Australians, our second prime minister, Alfred Deakin, after Edmund Barton, a man whose decision making was guided by necromancy, and also one Banjo Patterson, a man who may or may not fit the description we all imagine. And I thought, judging by the outlook of our current leaders, I wonder if it was Deakin and Banjo that set the tone that persists to today.
1: That's an interesting observation. And certainly in writing about history, I do look at the resonances today and the echoes of the past in today. Um, Cicero, uh, that great father of history, said that one of the purposes of history is to offer guidance for living uh, in the present day, and I think we can learn a lot from our past. I've chosen Alfred Deakin and Banjo Patterson as the two sort of central characters for which much of the narrative history of Australia hangs, because they cross over a number of key storylines and they were both very influential in shaping Australian identity as the Australian colonies moved from being the, the poor children of Mother Britain on the other side of the globe to being a
0: new nation in 1901. Another figure crops up quite frequently Sir henry parks he's well known as the father Sir of federation sorry what, what a guy but from what oh, i've yeah. read from what i've read in Girt nation he fathered more than just that uh, he's yeah. a man full of contradictions and possibly beer so tell me yeah. a little about the henry parks we don't know
1: oh, look so, so henry parks is, is widely regarded today as the father of federation um, Uh, the man who was instrumental in bringing the colonies together into the Australian nation. And he did play a key role in that. Um, What's often glossed over is that he was, for a long period of time, um, an anti-federalist in many ways. When he was worried that Victoria uh, was going to be the dominant power player in any new nation, he attempted to white ant federation. He wanted uh, Australia to be uh, led by New South Wales. In fact, in 1887... He went so far as to introduce legislation into the New South Wales Parliament as, uh, as the Premier. He was Premier of New South Wales on five occasions. Uh, and he proposed to change by law the name of New South Wales to Australia. Uh, that's how he saw uh, the Federation. Whilst Victorians who rebelled at that idea suggested that perhaps um, New South Wales should be renamed ConVictoria. Victoria in honour of the criminal roots of the Premier's state. Parks is a man of contradictions. Uh, He was from a poor working class family, passionate about education, passionate about building literacy, about empowering the working class, but he was also a political opportunist of the first order. Uh, He was also, you know, Australia's gold medal uh, political router, fathering at least 17 kids and um, uh, still on the job well into his 70s. Um, he had a series of mistresses with with which he had illegitimate kids. He'd generally move on to the next mistress, um, you know, whilst he was still un- unhappily married to his previous mistress. Um, and so you have this real sort of split between the public parks and the private parks. And that's interesting. I think we see that. Uh, resonances of that, that today, politicians wearing, wearing a particular face and, and, and perhaps living a different life. And Parks
0: was certainly um, an early example of that. It's interesting that uh, you say he fathered 17 children, and mm. yet he wasn't actually a Catholic and, and it was a kind of part of this movement uh, that uh, encouraged a, a kind of tension between uh, Catholicism and this emerging secularism that um, brands Australia today.
1: Yeah, look. Certainly, I'm I'm very interested in the Catholic Protestant divide that, that informed much of early Australian history. Um, uh, Parks, I think, just had a lax approach to birth control. In fact, he had a lax approach to anything um, requiring him to exercise self discipline in many ways. Um, whilst he was a workaholic and you know could could work the house down enjoyed a drink you know he was in many ways
0: a prototype bob hall he also had a few things to say about white australia too
1: all of the early australian politicians had a thing to do with white australia and i'd actually say that henry was more enlightened than most um, in terms of white australia he was in many ways sort of reluctantly dragged over the line in terms of a number of damagingly racist policies um, It would be fair to say that it was the early iterations of the Labor Party that were the true champions of of white Australia and that turbocharged the sort of fortress Australia inward-looking mentality of shutting out the world um, and particularly shutting out the coloured parts of the world. Um, And other politicians realising that that was the way the political wind was shifting, jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, Alfred Deakin, who really put the white Australia legislation through Parliament, was not, um, by the standards of the day, um, a racist. He saw Asia as a threat to this new notion of Australian nationhood. He saw racism as a way of binding the Australians together as a people, which is what he was keen on doing. And he also admired um, what he saw as Asian get up and go and being able to make things, produce things, uh, at a much cheaper cost than than Australians. Um, And he saw Asian people as formidable competitors rather than inferior. Parks himself was one of the few people who staunchly defended Aboriginal people's right to vote when there were attempts to to strip Aboriginal people of voting rights in New South Wales. Um, He was one of those politicians who introduced draconian anti-Chinese laws whilst at the same time saying, some of my best friends are Chinese. Um, but he, he ran a, a hard line, restriction on Asian immigration, restriction on Asian citizens' rights, because he understood that's where his political bread was
0: buttered. So we've covered the popular pastime of rooting for Australians. Mm. And that, of course, involves women in most cases.
1: It does. It does. Australia, well, not, not,
0: not in all cases. Not in all cases, but no. Many. But Australian history seems to be overpopulated by the exploits and follies of men. Mm. Gert Nation suggests that there are quite a few women who are up to the task and more than willing mm. to disrupt the patriarchy. Let's begin with just a few. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Helen Spence, Australia's first feminist, do you think?
1: Oh, look, she, she's widely credited as such. And it's an amazing character. And uh, her and Louisa Lawson, um, who hated being known as the mother of Henry Lawson, um, yeah, she hated being known as the mother of a man when she was the publisher um, and, and founder of the Dawn, Australia's first true women's and feminists newspaper, uh, amongst other things. Um, incredibly impressive women. And one of the joys of, in writing this book, um, Gert and Truger were set in an era where not only were Australian women written out of history as they were in many other, well, throughout the world, there were far less women in Australia as a proportion of the population. As a result of convictism, it was predominantly men who were sent out as convicts. A lot of the adventure-seeking settlers who came out were also men, and it wasn't really until the 1880s that that gender balance uh, was, was achieved. So it was a pleasure to write about women and, and their attempt not just to achieve voting rights but to achieve... Reforms in areas around divorce law reform, the rights to own property, domestic violence law reform, um, sexual violence law reform. Australia was really a hotbed for the early women's rights movement internationally. And Australians didn't just achieve great things in Australia. They exported those things throughout the world and were influential in America and, and Britain
0: and other places. Ellen Tremaine. Australia's Ooh. first cross-dressing woman?
1: Australia has a, a proud history of cross-dressing women who were known as passing men, uh, women who attempted to look like men, and the reasons for this are many. In fact, I think I tell uh, in Gert the story of Australia's first great cross-dressing woman, uh, Mary Reby, who's on our $20 note, who was a 13-year-old eloped with another girl, style of horse, dressed as a boy, and, and called herself James Burrow. Uh, and um, spent months in a prison cell in Britain before anyone realised that he was a she. Ellen was a good Catholic girl from Northern Ireland who had a child out of wedlock. She was shunned by her community. She comes to Australia. um, She has a a box full of clothes with Edward DeLacy Evans written on them, and she transforms into DeLacy Evans' marries three times, is um, a champion mine captain, uh, regarded by all and sundry as a man, and it wasn't until his third wife got pregnant uh, that he was revealed to be a she or, or, or vice versa. Um, when she insisted that she obviously couldn't be the father of this child and the wife said, yes, you are, and it, there was this mental breakdown ends up in an asylum and then it's discovered that Edward DeLacy Evans is, in fact, Ellen Tremaine And um, it was an international story, not just uh, an Australian story. It, the story is carried all over the globe and various impresarios wanted to take her out of the asylum that she was in and display her as part of a travelling freak show. And sadly, um, after her release, um, the incredible man-woman... Um, a woman-man, as she was often billed, did join a freak show and tour Australia with, with the electric boy. It's an interesting story, but you get the real sense that she'd had a pretty bad time of it being a woman. She lived in a society where all of the structural and economic advantages lay with men. And there was a real feeling of, I think, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what, what some women in Australia did.
0: I think you might have been accused at various times of um, being guilty of the tall poppy syndrome, but I wondered whether this series of books was more about uh, truth-telling and myth-busting.
1: I came to history originally as as a satirist. i would worked as, uh, on a sketch comedy history of Australia with a couple of the guys from The Chaser, which ended up having the, the plague pulled on it at the 11th hour, um, probably for good reason. And uh, whilst I was doing most of the research... For that, I came to the conclusion that a sketch comedy history of Australia was a bad idea because the real history is so so oddball, so bizarre that you don't need to make things up. And that was recognised by Mark Twain when he visited Australia in 1895. He wrote that Australian history is so curious and strange that is that it is itself the chiefest novelty the country has to offer, and so pushes all the other novelties into second and third place. I mean, he was blown away by just how rich Australia's short European history was. And certainly um, my approach to history is to, to communicate it to a new audience and not just an audience of historians and to speak truth to power, uh, which is what a satirist does, But I'm distressed by facts, um, for example, that we're encouraged to feel comfortable and relaxed about our history, as John Howard said in 1996. Nothing to see here, let's be forward-looking, let's not look at the past. Because if we do look at the past, it is uncomfortable. And it's important to be aware of that discomfort and to reconcile ourselves with it. I was born in 1971. In 1971, an Aboriginal child could still be excluded from a New South Wales public school where the parents of other school children objected. Um, educational apartheid continued up until my era. The last vestiges of the White Australia policy uh, weren't dismantled until 1973. The Aboriginal reserves and mission system known as Aboriginal protection, lasted in Queensland until 1981. Uh, and the reason that it was finally dismantled is Queenslanders and Australians didn't want accusations of racism to be levelled against them by the African nations who were coming to compete in the Brisbane Commonwealth Games in, in, in 82. So we have to reconcile ourselves with things like White Australia, with Indigenous dispossession, And there is a a willingness amongst many of our political leaders today, a desire to sweep that real history of Australia under the carpet and for Australia to, to revert to its nationalist history of the late 1890s. It's all about hardy men facing adversity, conquering the environment, digging holes in the ground, breeding sheep, triumphing in the face of adversity. And that's one narrative, but it's an incomplete narrative. And what I want to do in, in my history is to provide history around the white Australia policy and Aboriginal dispossession that historians know about um, but haven't necessarily been terribly good at communicating to a broader audience. And so I hope people learn about our past um, through reading my books where perhaps they might not pick up a, a, a more conventional history.
0: I was wondering, in the event that the the Department of Education decided to use the GERT series Mm. as their next textbook on Australian Mm. history, Mm. um, I wonder what you might say to the kiddies.
1: I go and give quite a few school talks,
0: and um,
1: at one stage, the Queensland Education Minister was enthusiastic about putting GERT on the Queensland curriculum, Um, and I, I advised against it. And the reason that I advised against it is anybody who's read my works will note that I employ irony. Isn't that one of
0: our defining characteristics?
1: Well, so we would like to think. Uh, And indeed, I think for for most most adult Australians get it. So do lots of kids, but some kids don't. I think irony is something that takes time to adjust to. I had one letter from an Aboriginal girl who was aged about 16 who wrote to me about the second chapter of my first book, GERT, which was titled The Unoriginal Non-Inhabitants, which was written from the perspective of sort of a right-wing radio shock jock about Aboriginal history and applying the same prejudicial notions we have about First Nations people today, applying those to the context of Aboriginal people in in the past. And she was devastated. I then wrote a very distressed letter explaining irony and, and what I was trying to achieve, but I think unless you've got a teacher who can guide kids through that particular minefield, and some teachers can and some teachers can't, I'd, I'd, I suppose what I've encouraged teachers who want to use bits of my books to do is to use them selectively to illustrate particular points that they want to make and to contextualise my writing because I certainly wouldn't want people to think that I am a right-wing radio shock jock And um, if you don't get irony, you you might come away with that impression reading some of what I write.
0: Well, I certainly enjoyed the irreverence and and the humour, and also I got a great education from it too. So, David Hunt, thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. And to all of your listeners out there, enjoy the past of this wide brown land in which we all live.
0: I hope they will. Thanks, David. I've been talking to David Hunt, about the third volume in the Unauthorised History of Australia series, Girt Nation. It's published by Black Inc. and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how.